Turn with me to John chapter 5. And this morning I'm excited because I'm going to be talking to you about the most incredible claim made in the history of mankind. And I'm not saying that for dramatic effects or because I need a, a sermon title with a really great title. This morning I truly am going to be talking to you about the most incredible claim ever made in the history of mankind. We're in John chapter 5, and I want to remind us of some of the context of where we are today, and I'm going to need just um, a little bit of help, and um, I'm Caden, Noah, Ivy, can I get you three to uh, come help me for a second, um, or two, or, or three, or I don't know how long, um, but we've been walking through the book of John, from John chapter 1, and now we're in John chapter 5. And, and in, the, in the beginning, John starts with, in the beginning, right? And then he quickly goes from that into John the Baptist. And you, can you be John the Baptist this morning? I, um, you come stand right over here. We're going to have a timeline here. So John the Baptist comes, and what is John the Baptist doing? He's preparing the way for the Lord. What is he, who's he talking about? Jesus. He says, Jesus is coming, and he's a, he's a wild, hairy man. I guess you're somewhat of a... Wild, hairy man, all right? And, and this is John the Baptist says, here comes Jesus, and then Jesus shows up. Noah, you're not going to be Jesus. We're not, we're not doing that. Jesus shows up, and he begins to call disciples to him. And then the next thing we see is that Jesus and his disciples are at a, a wedding at Cana, and at the wedding, um, you're going to be, you can be the bride. Jesus turns the water into wine. This is the, the timeline. And then Jesus goes to the temple after that. And what does he do? What's he do at the temple? He wrecks it. So here, can you move over? He wrecks the temple. Here, we'll throw that like that. All right. Jesus wrecks the temple. And then he meets with a religious leader. Does anyone know that religious leader's name? It was at nighttime. What? Nicodemus. You can be Nicodemus. And... Um, Nicodemus was quite pious, and he thought he was all that in a bag of chips. He was a religious leader, a leader of the Jews. Are you a leader? You're a leader on the basketball court, right? Uh, okay. Well, we'll just pretend he is. Um, he was a religious leader, right? And then after meeting with Nicodemus, John, everyone's like, John, what's your deal? And John's like, wait a minute, my deal's over. It's Jesus's deal now. Right, we read about about that, and then I, um um here, Addie, can you come? Would you like to join? Okay, I can take Chloe instead. Okay, Chloe, you're coming up. I I'm still trying to get in good with Addie, so you know. Um. So, then stand right here. Then Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well. Right, someone he shouldn't have been talking to, and we talked about there was this quiet contrast between. Nicodemus, this pious religious leader of the Jews, and this woman at the well who was quite the opposite. Everything they are is complete opposite. Even the time of day they meet is complete opposite. Even their circumstances of life are complete opposite. And yes, Jesus chooses to engage with both of them. Then, 
Pastor Steve preached about Jesus healing the official's son. Oh, I, I need one more. I need a, another a guy. Um, 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 come here, Timmy. You're here. All right. Now, can I tell you something? What's crazy about this is this official son was most likely a Roman centurion. A Roman centurion. And, and this is blowing my mind because we have Jesus doing these miracles in a good Jewish wedding. And then to a, a, a pious Jewish religious leader, he's talking to him. And then, and then to the Samaritan woman that's an outcast of society. And then to the Roman centurion who's oppressing their society. And then he ends up back to where our story is today. It's, it's crazy to me to see that Jesus, John is trying to point out that Jesus is interacting with all these different kinds of people. Even though he's called to the Jews, God's chosen people, he's interacting with all these different kinds of people. And that brings us to the story where we're all today. Let's give these guys a hand. They did a great job. I'll take my water bag. Thank you, sir. We came to the story in John chapter 5. And in John chapter 5, what happens, it's, it's a feast, say a feast. And I want to point out something right here is that Jesus showed up at all the religious feasts and festivals that his religion required. In fact, Jesus also showed up to synagogues which was their churches of the, that day. I want you to think about this. Was the system, the religious system of Jesus' day messed up? Compare, when we read the New Testament, does it seem like the religious system of Jesus' day was messed up? Yeah. It seems like it was backwards and wrong. They held the whole thing by the wrong end of the stick. I mean, so much so that Jesus turned all over the tables at the temple. But every time, Jesus still showed up. He showed up and participated in the system, even though the system was flawed. And that's, that's what we see here when we get to John chapter 5, verse 1. It says, it says, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Why? Because that's what he was supposed to do. Now, did he have to? No. The system was messed up. That's what this whole story is about, right? That he heals the guy on the Sabbath and everyone loses their mind because Jesus was working on the Sabbath. What are you supposed to do on the Sabbath? Rest. That was the rule. And though Jesus might not have participated in the way they liked, he still showed up. He still participated. Y'all, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've met with people and talked to people and they're, they're like, well, I just... I just can't go to church because churches, they, they're, not, they're not proclaiming Jesus the way he needs to be proclaimed. And I would agree, there are churches that don't proclaim Jesus the way he needs to be proclaimed. They, I can't go to church anymore because church is just full of, it's just politics. Or they'll say, well, church is just full of hypocrites. And I would like to point out that Jesus showed up in a system full of hypocrites. And instead of saying, well, I'm not going to be a part of that because it's full of hypocrites, Jesus showed up and participated to change the culture. Sometimes we don't feel like going to church, do we? Sometimes we're glad to see each other, and some days we're like, oh, 
you know, so-and-so. Oh, my gosh, if they talk to me today. Not this church, right? Not this church. Or maybe you're like, man, you know, I, I, I think our church is just a little off here. Can I tell you, like, show up. And if something isn't right, be there and be Jesus to shift the culture to where we need to be. The, the, Paul was very clear. We're many parts to one body. We all need each other. I've heard it said of people who say, well, um, I, I, I don't go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. And then you say, uh, well, how's it said? That if, uh, if someone is give, getting between you and God, guess who's closer to God? That's, that's not right. We show up, we participate, and, and this is nothing unique or new to the church. Uh, the writer of Hebrews, back in the first century, this, the church has only been around less than a generation. And the, and the writer of Hebrews is already telling us in, in chapter 10, verse 25, he says, don't forsake the assembly. Don't neglect to get together with believers, as is the habit of some. We're already one generation into church life, and people are like, ah, I don't want to go to church today. It's insane, right? And it's, it's where today people still live like, well, I don't need the church. Yes, you do. Did you know the entire New Testament was written to churches? Colossians was written to the church. Galatians was written to the church. Ephesus was written to the church. You need the church even if it's messed up. And guess what? If the church is messed up, we especially need you. And so we're glad every single one of you are here this morning. And if for some reason... God calls you to move to another place and you move to, I don't know, Oregon and you go to church when you get to Oregon. You go to church. You find a church. You lock in and you're like, well, the, the, the churches here are all messed up. They're all, none of them are really pursuing God. Then you go and influence the culture and you participate in a flawed system so that Jesus may be glorified. Anyway. So Jesus shows up to the feast in Jerusalem because that's what his religion said he should do. And as we read that there was this man who was, who was lame for 38 years, he couldn't walk, and Jesus says, do you want to be healed? And he says, I have the sob story of why I'm not healed. And Jesus says, pick up your bed and walk. Get out of here. Go. And the religious leaders see him walking with his bed and they lose their mind because he's working on the Sabbath. And can I tell you, like, this is strange um, because you've got to think that, that working on the Sabbath wasn't allowed for people, but doesn't God work on the Sabbath? Isn't the universe still upheld during the Sabbath? In Jewish tradition, they had some ways, some, some religious gymnastics they would do to get around this loophole. Like, well, okay, so on the Sabbath, you can do light work. So that means you can't lift anything. One of the rules was you can't lift anything, like, above your waist. Like, just, you can lift things, but just don't go above your head. Because that's heavy work, but you can do light work on the Sabbath. And so upholding the universe is easy for God. So yeah, God works on the Sabbath, but he does, he does light work. Another one of the rules is you could only do things within your own house 
Like you couldn't, if you needed to carry something from the kitchen to the bedroom, you could do that. But you couldn't carry something from your house to your neighbor's house because that would be considered work. Just your house, just your yard. Well, isn't the whole earth the Lord's? Isn't it all his house? So all the work God's doing is within his house, in his own house, sorry, excuse me. So God doesn't really work on the Sabbath. And these are the kind of strange things they'd come up with to make the religion seem right. Now, do you remember the whole purpose of the book of John? To what? It's in chapter 20. That you may believe. So we would know who Jesus is and that you may believe in him. And by believing in him, what? You would have life, eternal life. And so Jesus is here. He's trying to reveal himself. And so Jesus, could he have healed this man on a Monday? He could have. Do you think he healed the man on Sunday on purpose? Or excuse me, Saturday for them, the Sabbath. This man on the Sabbath on purpose? Absolutely. I think he was trying to stir the pot. Some people like to stir the pot. I'm not one of them. So he makes this claim. He says at the end of this thing, the Jewish leaders challenge Jesus. Why are you healing on the Sabbath? Why are you breaking the rules? And Jesus says in verse 16, a father is working until now. And I am working. What he's saying is, you know, the father's working on Sunday or on the Sabbath. Excuse me. I'm going to accidentally say Sunday a lot. Just know that their Sabbath was a Saturday. If I just are you with me? It just slips out that way. Um, my father is working on the Sabbath, so I'm also working. And then it says in verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. They already wanted to kill him, but now they really want to kill him. Why? Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There's some out there that say that in the New Testament, it never says Jesus is God. I'm going to tell you right here, Jesus is God. And that's what this next discourse is. We're going to read here. We've seen all these things that Jesus has been doing, all the miracles he's been doing on this timeline. But let's read this next passage real quick. In verse 19, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, he says that 25 times in John, and it's just saying, listen, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you the truth. Listen up. Here's what he's saying. Truly, truly, I say to you, you, uh, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. You should underline that. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, there it is again, 
Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here. Say, and is now here. It's right now. When the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. And remember that, that term, Son of Man, is this Messiah. It's the special one of God who has sent to defeat evil once and for all from the book of Daniel. He says, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in tombs will hear his voice and come out. And those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. This right here, which we just read, is the most incredible claim that any person has ever made in history. What Jesus is saying here is, I am equal to God. And that's what we see in John chapter 1. Rewind. Rewind. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this is what is hard for me to understand. How can Jesus be God's Son and also be God at the same time? And I'll tell you this morning, I do not fully understand it. But I can tell you this morning, it's absolutely true. For some reason, God chose, he's like, you know what, it's going to be hard for them to get this, so I'm just going to try to explain it to them as a father-son relationship. So Jesus is God, and he's also God's son. Does that mean there's two gods? No. But there's God the Father and God the Son. Yes. There's also God the Holy Spirit. So there's three gods. No. This is hard for our human minds to wrap around, and we try to come up with different illustrations to, to show this trini trinity of God. We come up with ice. You know, there's, there's steam, and there's, there's water, and there's ice, and they're all three ice. But if you really dive deep into that, that has some fallacies that don't quite work. Or you might say there's an egg, there's the shell, and there's the yolk, and there's the white. And, but that still doesn't quite work. No matter how you try to explain God in our human terms, the, the, the analogy, the metaphor always falls short to who God really is. And isn't that wonderful? Isn't it great that we have a God that, that's above our human understanding? And yet and yet loves us enough that he becomes a man so he can be completely understood. Think about that. He's so far beyond our understanding that we're like, oh, it's this, I can't figure this out. And so he's like, okay, I'll become a man so you can understand me, so you can know who I am. And you know, Jesus was, he was fully God, 100%, but he was also fully man. Like when he stubbed his toe, it hurt. When his friends betrayed him, it broke his heart. When his friends died, he wept. He was fully man. He was 100% God, and he was 100% man. Well, isn't that 200%? No, it's 100%. I, I don't get it, guys. And yet, that's my God. And I'm so grateful that he's above anything I can ask, think, or, or imagine. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 44 real quick for context of the Old Testament here. In Isaiah chapter 44. And in Isaiah, there's, there's so many things. You should study Isaiah sometime if you're trying to. Isaiah chapter 44. I just want to look at verses 6 through 8. It says, thus says the Lord. And that, that when you see Lord in all caps, that's actually the name Yahweh. It's the special name for God. That's the I am. He says, thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. He says, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Well, let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock, and I know not any. What is God saying? He's like, Look, I, I checked. I looked around. There is no other God. I, I searched the heavens. I'm the only one here. We live in a world that tries to claim that there's many past the God. or There, there are many gods. I, I heard a, a missionary once talk about, he was meeting with these different religious leaders, and they, they talked about religion being a bunch of people gathered around a mountain and trying to reach God at the top of the mountain. And they said, aren't all our religions alike? Aren't we all just on different sides of the mountain trying to get up to God at the same time? And this missionary said, I understand what you guys are trying to convey, but can I tell you, I completely disagree with your analogy. It falls short because your religions believe we're all just trying to get to the top of the mountain, just going different paths to get there. But can I tell you where I am with Christianity, the God has come down off the mountain and has become a man. That's the difference between Christianity and other religions. God has come down and he's become a man to make himself known. And that's what it says in John 1. It says, he came to his own and his own didn't understand him. And that's what we're seeing here in this passage. His own didn't understand him. The Jewish religious leaders, they didn't understand him. So Jesus does something amazing. He tells them exactly who he is. And who does he say he is? He says that he is God. He says, I only do what the Father shows me. Right? Look there in, in verse 19. I, I only do what I, I see my Father doing. Well, what, is, what does he see his father doing? Just whatever his father shows him. What does his father show him? In verse 20, shows him, get this, all things. The father shows him all things. So Jesus does all things the father does. I love this because I ask myself, well, what are all the things that the father receives because what jesus is saying anything that is about the father is also about the son so what are the things in this passage that are about the father well it says that the father raises the dead isn't that amazing 
that the Father raises the dead. So guess what that means about the Son? Yeah, look at verse 21. It means he also gives life. So the Father raises the dead, but the Son also gives life. It says in verse 22, it says that, that the, the Father receives honor. Verse 23, the Father receives honor. Well, what does that mean about the Son? He also what? Receives honor. Like anything about the Father is also about the Son. You skip on down. It says that the Father is the only God that has life in himself. Get this, this is what's crazy. Only God has life in himself. Everyone in this room, life was given to you. But only God has life in himself. That's why you, you can't raise yourself from the dead because you don't have life in yourself. Lazarus, he did raise from the dead. He didn't raise himself from the dead, but he did raise from the dead. But it also tells us it's not just God who has life in himself. Oh yeah, it's Jesus too. Why? Because Jesus and the Father are one. They're one. And then it tells us down in verse 27 that Jesus has authority. So all these claims that are about the Father, about God, Jesus is making about himself. And you're telling me that Jesus never claimed to be God? It made them want to kill him all the more when he started saying this stuff. If he wasn't claiming to be God, they would have been like, yeah, he's just crazy. Which, that's all you can do with this. Like, Jesus, sometimes in our culture, people just say, well, Jesus was just a good teacher. He was, he's, a, he's a good guy. You know, I can see Christianity have some benefit. Jesus was a good guy. But Jesus never claimed to just be a good guy or a good prophet. In fact, Muslims, we talked about this last week, Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. They just don't believe that Jesus was the prophet. In fact, there's certain sects of Christi Christianity that aren't actually Christianity that don't claim that Jesus is God. And, and, and I have friends who belong to some of these places, but they need to come to an understanding of who Jesus really is. When you look at different theologies like in Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, they don't believe the things about Jesus that we believe. They don't believe these words right here where Jesus claims to be God himself. They have other views of it. And yet here we believe that Jesus is God in the flesh. Why? Why do we believe this? What benefit is it? Look at verse 24. It echoes John 3.16. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, listen this morning. Truly, truly, I say to you this morning, whoever hears my words, that's the words of Jesus, and believes him who sent me has eternal life. It reminds me what he said to Nicodemus and up on that rooftop at night hidden away from everyone in john 3 16 for god so loved the world whoever believes in him that he sent his only begotten son whoever believes in him will not perish but what have everlasting life have eternal life and this is the point that jesus is trying to make i love it here in verse 25 when he says an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of god and those who hear will live. Now, 
later on, we're going to say that people who are even in tombs will hear and they will live. But I believe right here what he's saying is even right now the dead are hearing. I think he's talking about the spiritually dead right here. Like even right now, I believe there's people listening in that crowd that were hearing the words. Now the Jewish leaders might have rejected him, but I believe there are people in that crowd that the scripture doesn't say here, but they said, you know, I'm saying yes to this right now. I'm saying yes to this. They're hearing his words and they're living. And can I tell you, in this room today, there are men and women who are sitting in this room that have heard the voice of the Son of God and said yes to his word and you live today because you heard the words of Jesus and you said yes to it, and you believe in his name, and now you have eternal life. You know what's crazy about eternal life? We're not talking about heaven. Do you realize when we talk about eternal life, we're not just talking about heaven. Yes, when you have eternal life, you die, you go to heaven. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's great we don't have to go to hell, but do you realize that when you say yes to Jesus, your life in Christ, your life in the kingdom of God starts right now. It starts today. And for those of you who have sat in this room and said yes to Jesus, you remember the moment you said yes to him and your heart came alive. I remember a young lady that came to this church to 707 and man, she, she dressed in black all the time. She was just goth, you know, just black, black clothes, black nails, black everything, right? And that was just her thing. And, you know, all right, we'll love you and be just keep coming she was faithful she came and she came to church and there was this Wednesday night that she gave her life to Christ and no one ever talked to her about not wearing black but she went home and she was like her grandma told me she said the next day she went to put on her clothes and she said grandma I can't wear this anymore I can't wear this anymore she walked outside she says grandma the the world just looks like it has so much more color now. Like the greens look greener and the blues look bluer. Why? Because there's life in Jesus Christ. There's life when you know him. When you truly know him, it changes who you are inside. No longer are you just someone who comes to church and participates in religious activity, but you know him and it changes you. You come alive on the inside. And now not as just heaven is your home someday, but your life in Christ starts right now. Can I get an amen this morning? So the spiritually dead, they hear his voice. I'm, re I'm reminded of the story of, of Steve Saint. Have you ever heard the story of Steve Saint? Go home, and instead of watching some of the other stuff you watch, go home and look up the movie End of the Spear. Has anyone ever seen that movie? Story about missionary um nate saint the father who who flew into the amazon and, and was killed trying to preach the gospel to tribes in the amazon and was killed speared to death speared to death and the story of his son who would later visit that same tribe and become friends with these these people who had murdered his dad and, and if i remember right that steve was actually baptized in the river in the same spot where his dad was speared to death what makes you do that what makes what like natural human emotions cannot handle that kind of content if you like some of you man you 
You send a text to me, teenagers, with a period at the end of it, I'm mad. Right? Some of us, someone looks at you funny, walking through Walmart. You're like, well, it's his problem. Ruins your whole day. You won't believe who I saw with Walmart. And they didn't even come over and say hi to me. That's some of the stuff I've pastored people through. And that's fine. We'll pastor you through. I'm not trying to disparage you right now. I didn't mean to disparage you right now. (laughs) But there's something greater. There's got to be some sort of life in Christ that's greater that if someone spears your dad to death and you can still have a relationship with that person because they have now found Christ. There's something different in the life of Christ that brings your heart alive to a new reality. And ladies and gentlemen, that's, that's what we have in this place today. We have Jesus revealing himself to us, and he's making this incredible claim that he is God and he is life. That's what it says in John chapter 1. He is light, he is life, he is word, and his words have life for today. Worship team, can you join me on the stage? It talks about a day coming when it says all who are in tombs will hear his voice. We must be honest with ourselves this morning. And, and I, I talk about this, I want to be sensitive because I know we've all in this room at different times have lost people we love. But we have to come to understanding there's a, there's a day when we will all, if the Lord does not return, that we will all enter the tomb. And it says that there's going to be a time when we all will hear His voice. When the day of the Lord comes, and it says we will all come out of the grave. And it says those who have done good to the resurrection of life and to those who have done evil, the resurrection of judgment. And I want to say... When it's talking about those who have done good, it doesn't mean that you were a good person and you did good things. Ephesians very clear. It says, by grace you're saved, not of, not of your own works. It's, it's a gift of God. But the only good that you've ever done is saying yes to Jesus. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. This is where I want to end today. The most incredible claim in the history of mankind. Jesus claiming to be God in the flesh. So, so let's think about this. Jesus can only be one in three things. He's a liar. As C.S. Lewis eloquently wrote, he's a liar. Claiming to be God and lying about it. Which makes him worse than a blasphemer. And maybe he should be put to death then. That's definitely what these men, these Jewish men thought. 
He might be a lunatic. Who claims that they're God if they're not really God? Only liars are lunatics. Unless, unless he actually was God. Unless he actually was the Lord of all the earth. So he's either, he's either a liar or a lunatic or he's Lord. But he can't just be a good teacher. You can't put him in that box. It doesn't exist. His claims don't allow for that. And I am so thankful that the Lord of all the earth reveals himself to us through Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 12, it says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Say, we are very bold. Oh, say it like you're bold. Say, we are very bold. Not like Moses. Well, wait a minute, I thought Moses was kind of bold. You know, Moses, he went up on a mountain with smoke and lightning and thunder. That seems kind of bold to me. But he says, we're not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted. Because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, I'll say it again, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. When you look at Jesus, you actually see God. It means the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, say we all, that's you and me with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord are being transformed to the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Here's what's so amazing that Jesus doesn't want to stay hidden. He wants to be seen. He wants to be out there in the open. Jesus came to earth to show who He was, to show who God was. Jesus, God in the flesh, made manifest us so the veil that separated from us from God that's what the Old Testament was all about was God trying to reveal himself but he couldn't quite get close enough because we were dirty we were unclean and we could never let him get close enough and even in their temple in the holy of holies the most specialist place where God was said to live and dwell there was a veil that kept the common people away from the holy God. But when Jesus hung on that cross, he died for us. And it says that veil was torn, allowing us access to the holy of holies. God is no longer far away, he's close. But Pastor Drew, what if I don't feel him being close? Can I tell you this morning, don't rely on your feelings. Listen, in, in, our, in our D groups and, and in our walk together as a body, it's important for us to sit down and listen to each other's feelings. It's important. The way you feel is really the way you feel. We should never be dismissive of the way each other feels. And you should be honest to you, yourself about the way you feel. But can I tell you this morning, when your feelings are contrary to the Word of God, can I tell you, the Word of God is true when your feelings are a lie. And when you don't feel like God is close, can I tell you, 
His word is true and he will give you access to him. It's like we talked about this morning. All you do have to do is seek him, approach him, look for him, and he's gonna come near to you. If you come near to God, he'll come near to you. It's the truth of the word of God. Pastor Drew, sometimes I just don't feel him. Then be faithful and pursue him faithfully. Don't quit. Don't give up. Can I tell you something? I, I, I used to coach cross country. Wow, that's a great thing to be able to say. I used to coach cross country. And I guarantee you, runners, if you'll just keep running, keep putting one foot in front of the other, eventually you'll get to the finish line. I promise. All you have to do is be faithful to not quit the race. The finish line is there. I promise. And if you will just be faithful, no matter how you feel, I promise you will encounter God at some point. You will push through. And I, I tend to believe the greater the push, the harder the struggle, the greater the encounter with God when you finally meet Him face to face. Faithfulness over feelings every time. Faithfulness over feelings every time. Sometimes you don't feel like loving your kids. I know, that not you. How many know your kids drive you crazy sometimes? You're faithful to them. Sometimes, some days your spouse drives you crazy, but you're faithful to him or her. Faithfulness over feelings every time. And we have a God who will never leave us or never forsake us. No matter how you feel, God is just on the other side of you pursuing him and reaching toward him. He wants to reveal himself to you. That's what John 5 is all about. Jesus saying, I'm right here. I'm God and I'm right here. Will you stand with me this morning? This is our altar call this morning. I, I, I don't know what these guys are about to play, but I guarantee you it's gonna glorify the King of Kings. And we're just gonna worship with this song. Can you, can you do this this morning for the altar call? Will you just look for him? We just look for him and say, God, show yourself to me. Maybe you haven't felt the presence of God in a while. Be faithful. Don't quit. Don't give up. Pursue. I guarantee you. I guarantee you he will reveal himself to you. You will reap in due season if you don't give up. If you don't faint. Press in. Can you just close your eyes for a moment? And just be honest with the Lord. Listen, he already knows how you feel anyway. Don't lie to him. Be honest to him about the way you're feeling and then let him bring truth, the word of God, to your feelings. And then be faithful. Be faithful. Be faithful in pursuing the Lord. Be faithful in, in attending your church. Be faithful in serving the people of God and the people around you. Be faithful to your family. But more importantly, be faithful pursuing the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. Let's worship this morning.